Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Shares for beginners. As of June of this year, there are over 220 million users of cryptocurrencies or blockchain-based applications. That's up from 60 million just a year ago. So you can see the growth there. The growth of the technology is actually superseding the growth of the internet. If you take a look at when the internet had roughly about the same amount of users, I think it took about 10 years to get to a billion users. The expectation is that the cryptocurrency space actually ends up getting to a billion users within four and a half years. G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. There's been a lot of excitement lately about crypto in general, with some of the gains and especially the eye-watering prices of some cryptocurrencies. But most people find this sector intimidating and confusing. What people may not know is that there's a whole ecosystem that sits behind these cryptos, mostly powered by blockchain technology. Many of these companies are publicly listed on stock exchanges, meaning investors can get exposure to the players powering the crypto economy. Joining me today is Justin Arzadon to help clear the air and explain the opportunities of crypto equities. Hi, Justin. Hi, good morning, Phil. And thank you for coming in. This is the first interview face-to-face, not over some sort of online tool. So it's great to have you here in the studio live. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, Very excited to be here today. Justin's the head of digital assets at BetaShares, where he educates and informs clients about this emerging asset class and contributes to development. So tell us about your time working in ETFs. It's been 15 years? Yes, that's correct, Phil. Uh, so 15 going on 16 years, kind of lose track of the uh, years after you get up yeah. above uh, 10 years there. But um, yeah, so I started my career in uh, Toronto, Canada. So I was actually born and raised in Toronto. And, uh, you know, after school, you know, started working at a bank branch, so a retail bank branch. You know, it was good to sort of be exposed, but eventually knew that I wanted to make my way into the funds management industry. Mm. And so eventually made my way to an ETF fund manager in Toronto there. The firm was called Horizons Exchange Traded Funds. And it was uh, very early days. They actually didn't have any ETFs listed. They were um, running uh, leverage. They were, they were an ETF provider without any ETFs. Well, uh, so they weren't an ETF provider. They were more of an index uh, oh, provider. Okay. It wasn't listed on the exchange yet, mm-hmm. uh, but they were uh, index funds. They were actually leveraged both on the long side and the short side. So it started when uh, they were about $100 million of funds under management that uh, continued to grow to about you know 600 700 million and eventually they decided to start listing onto the exchange and officially become an exchange traded fund provider mm. and so um started with them in terms of uh, really learning how to um, you know position exchange traded funds with uh, financial advisors as well as with uh, the retail investor and uh, helped grow that business to roughly about uh, I think it was about three billion or four billion dollars of funds under management before unfortunately I had to go to them and say uh, you know unfortunately I need to resign because I'm going to be moving to Sydney mm-hmm. and uh, reason I came over to Sydney is that uh, you know my 
wife, she's originally, you know, born and raised in, in Sydney and she wanted to be closer to her family. So I, I decided to make the jump and uh, was offered a role with uh, BetaShares. Because of your experience? Probably yeah. not, not many people know this, but not only uh, because of the experience, but also Horizons Exchange Traded Funds was an initial minority shareholder in BetaShares. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so uh, I actually met uh, the uh, co-founders when they came to visit Toronto and, um, you know, because I had, you know, sort of the approval from uh, the uh, Horizons owners, uh, you know, Alex and uh, David were uh, kind enough uh, to bring me on board. Yeah, come and look us up if you're ever in Australia. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so what was quite interesting, however, is that uh, when I left Toronto, the assets under management in all of exchange traded funds in Canada were roughly just under 40 billion and uh, coming to uh, Australia in 2010 assets under management again for all uh, exchange traded funds were just under 4 billion mm. and so you know you fast forward almost uh, 11 years and you know we're at uh, 100 billion plus yep. and uh, you know I'm proud to say that uh, beta shares alone is now sitting uh, over $22 billion of Fantastic, funds under management. Yeah. So, you know, I've been able to experience the growth of exchange-traded funds, not only in Canada, but also, you know, now here in Australia. Mm. So it's interesting, isn't it, how ETFs have grown over the last few years? It's been such an explosive growth because they do offer a lot of pluses like diversification, don't they? Yeah, correct. So yeah. not only do they offer diversification, but I believe it's the transparency. So you know exactly what an exchange traded fund holds. Yeah. You know, you can see the holdings on a daily basis and actually even, you know, for the domestic ETFs, you know what the actual price is at pretty much that second. So yeah. you get the diversity, you get the um transparency, you get the ease of access. So, I mean, you're purchasing it essentially like any share. So, you know, a lot of investors that haven't experienced using or trading an exchange trade fund most likely would have purchased, you know, for example, CBA or, you know, Westpac shares. Mm -hmm. And essentially the exact same way that you would purchase any of those shares, you purchase an ETF. And so, you know, you have all the investor protections as well. You contribute to the development of ETFs. What's that involve? I contribute to the ideas for the development. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've been uh, a member of the distribution team, you know, since starting with BetaShares. And being on the front line, you know, you're speaking to advisors on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, they are feeding ideas in terms of what their clients are looking for. So, you know, really over the last, you know, call it year, year and a half, you know, they've been actually letting us know that, you know, what, what do you have in the, you know, cryptocurrency space? You know, do you have a Bitcoin ETF? You know, how can I get access? And, you know, if it's not just myself that's hearing that, but it's my colleagues hearing that as well, then, you know, the we, light bulb exactly, on, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, we have, um, you know, monthly or quarterly uh, product development meetings. And, you know, we actually have to discuss, you know, what type of exposures uh, to come out with. Um, and the thing is, you know, we get approached all the time from other fund managers to either partner up or from our clients uh, wanting mm-hmm. to get exposure. But, you know, you can't come out with an exchange trade fund for everything. You know, you have limited resources, limited time. And, you know, when you come out with an ETF, you want it to be successful, right? So, yeah. you know, you don't want to come out with something and, you know, it raises 30 or 40 mil. You want to hopefully make sure that it appeals to the masses and that you're raising, you know, 100 mil plus, for example. Yeah. 
So cryptocurrency, including Bitcoin and all the other coins, have been in the news a lot lately. Tell us a bit more about the crypto space as a whole. How does it work? Yeah, so the crypto space as a whole. So when we talk about crypto, there's a lot of confusion because, you know, people call it crypto, they call it digital assets, you know, they might just refer to, uh, you know, I'm not into crypto, but I, uh, I'm really into the technology such as blockchain. But however, I like to refer to it as digital assets, because, you know, there are cryptocurrencies that people are familiar with, such as, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum, those two being the largest cryptocurrencies. But uh, for anyone that's really been paying attention to the space, they have probably started to hear words or um, acronyms such as NFTs or non-fungible tokens. Mm-hmm. And so this is almost like the, the next level in uh, the digital asset space. So I like to refer to everything as digital assets. But essentially what is happening in the digital asset space currently is um, I like to view it as there's almost a parallel financial system being built. And that's not to say that the current financial system is not going to have any involvement in that or that we're actually leaving. But you have to think about what the internet has done to various industries. So you take a look at, uh, you know, newspapers or or media, right? I mean, you know, how many people actually get newspapers delivered, you know, everything's delivered online. The internet has disrupted multiple industries. And for the most part, it hasn't disrupted the financial industry yet. Mm. And now because of cryptocurrencies, because of the decentralized consensus mechanism that uh, a lot of cryptocurrencies feature, we're essentially now able to get rid of, you know, the middleman and the middleman or the centralized figure being, you know, the banks. Now, does that mean the banks are going to actually disappear? You know, 100 percent, they're not. I mean, they're just too big. Uh, so what is essentially going to happen, I think, in my opinion, is that they're going to evolve, they're going to develop and they're going to build on top of these protocols, because that's all cryptocurrencies are. They're essentially software, open digital protocols that is actually open to all. So banks, corporations and other you know, developers, um, you know, if you have an idea, you could eventually build on these open protocols. I'm not sure how far down we want to go into the weeds here. Yeah. But um, just before we started recording, I mentioned that analogy about the soccer game and understanding how blockchain works, where I described how in a professional soccer game, you've got a referee, you've got line judges, you've got the videos, and the decisions on any aspect of the game is decided in a very centralised manner. Whereas if you think about a kid's soccer game, no one scores a goal until every kid on the block agrees that the goal has been scored. And then you developed that idea a little bit further in our discussion beforehand. Yeah, that's correct. So, you know, just from what you said there, you know, what that makes me think of is what they call as distributed ledger technology. Mm. Um, because the thing is a blockchain can actually be private or public. So think about, you know, the internet. There's the intranet, which, you know, many may have had access to in their firm. If you're working for a corporate, you have the intranet. It's centralized. They were making the decision in regards to which websites you could use. However, if you want, you know, something that's decentralized, you have you know, the internet, which is open to all. So you have, you know, multiple websites and you can essentially search anything that you want. And that's the same with blockchain technology. They could actually be private or public. 
Now, blockchain is a great technology and cryptocurrencies use blockchain, but blockchain is not what makes cryptocurrencies or digital assets interesting. I think what makes digital assets interesting and what makes them so different is the ability to come up with this decentralized consensus, meaning there is no one single authority figure to make a decision. And the reason it's able to have this consensus mechanism where everyone can agree is because you have what are called nodes or, you know, call it users. So if you have multiple users, you know, hundreds of people or thousands of people, let's say in in many cities, in many countries around the world, and, you know, we've downloaded the software program, we can all take a look at and ensure that when a transaction comes through, it is... It's verified. It's verified, correct. Yeah, China, so it's yeah. verified. And then once it is verified, then, you know, we can all agree and then we can move on to the next transaction. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash boast. So can you explain the crypto economy and how it all connects? Yeah, certainly. So in terms of the crypto economy, it's all activity relating to the creation, transaction, and ownership of digital assets. Mm -hmm. And so, as I mentioned, you have digital assets themselves, whether it's Bitcoin, Ethereum, you know, NFTs, or non-fungible tokens, rather. We might have to explain non-fungible tokens at some okay. stage. Yeah, but, certainly. Uh, just I'm so happy listeners to are that. just listening because it's one of those terms that we hear a lot about and a lot of jokes about it as yeah. well. That you know, people are selling eight-bit. Gifts, you know, and they're yeah. worth millions of dollars. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. sorry, back to your point. No, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely uh, expand on that. But yeah. you have the digital assets themselves on one side. You have the participants in the digital assets. So whether you're an investor, whether you're an institution such as a uh, you know a super fund or a uh, you know a managed fund, you know, looking to invest, or you're a business, right? If you're a business that wants to accept cryptocurrencies for payments, uh, so you know, all of those are considered the participants. Now, in the middle, that helps facilitate both the digital assets themselves as well as the participants. You have the businesses, the businesses that are in industries that help facilitate both sides. And without them, the crypto economy would be very, very difficult. Mm. So the fund that we just launched is the BetaShares Crypto Innovators ETF, which takes a picks and shovels approach, which is leveraged to the growth of the crypto economy. So Uh, these are the companies that um, the fund is investing in as opposed to the coins or the cryptos themselves. That's correct. So the fund itself does not actually purchase any Bitcoin or Ethereum or any of the cryptocurrencies themselves. Mm -hmm. It actually invests in the companies. I guess where I was going with that is that it currently holds 32 names, and these are the large cap companies in the space. So there's a lot more other companies. However, a lot of them are still in its infancy, and so we don't hold any of that um, because they're, you know, they're not really at uh, sort of that that level that they're, you know, really driving sort of the crypto economy. But the names that we are holding, you know, some of them have been around since you know 2012, 2013, and 
you know, they are really helping drive the crypto economy because, you know, not only are they helping the digital currencies themselves, but they're helping the participants. And whilst you may have cryptocurrencies go through a lot of volatile periods, uh, you know, they'll continue to go up and down in price. And that's the thing. A lot of investors may not have the stomach um, to hold direct cryptocurrencies. You know, we actually saw Bitcoin correct earlier in the year. You know, it hit Mm -hmm. a high of about, you know, 63,000, I believe it is. And it actually came off to about 29,000. That's over 50% Mm. (laughs) drop, right? And that's a lot for uh, for an individual's portfolio. Now, through that period, you had, you know, companies in sectors that we hold, such as, you know, Bitcoin miners or exchanges and custodians or the asset managers, for example, that continued to have phenomenal numbers. And when I say phenomenal numbers, I'm talking about financials. So, um, you know, they continued to increase their, their user base, they continued to increase their revenue. And that's because digital assets themselves will continue to grow, even though cryptocurrencies may be going through a period where prices are falling. When you think about uh, the report that came out a couple of weeks ago by Bank of America, they said that as of June of this year, there are over 220 million users of cryptocurrencies or blockchain-based applications. Hmm. That's up from 60 million just a year ago. So you could see the growth there. The growth of the technology uh, is actually superseding the growth of the internet. If you take a look at when the internet had roughly about the same amount of users, I think it took about 10 years to get to a billion users. The expectation is that the cryptocurrency space actually ends up getting to a billion users within four and a half years. So the growth is going to happen regardless. We don't know which cryptocurrencies are going to uh, necessarily benefit from all that growth. But what we are pretty sure about is that these companies that are helping both Mm -hmm. the cryptocurrencies themselves and the participants are most likely going to grow regardless. So Justin, tell us about a couple of the larger companies that uh, comprise this index that the ETF is based on. Yeah, certainly. Uh, look, there's a few companies that uh, you know come to top of mind right away. Uh, you know, first off is Coinbase. Coinbase has been known to be the Google of cryptocurrencies, and you know we know what a powerhouse Google is. And what's quite interesting about Coinbase is that you know their exchange, so they facilitate the buying and selling of cryptocurrencies. Uh, however, they don't just do that for retail; they also do that for corporates, you know, such as Tesla, and uh, you know, large. Fund managers, so they're not just doing it on a retail level, but they're doing it, you know, in terms of billions of dollars. Now, the thing is, they have other lines of businesses as well. So, um, Prime Brokerage, as well as uh, you know, they are uh, being a custodian for cryptocurrencies. But this is why I like this exposure, and, and this is just an example here. In the second quarter of this year, we actually saw Bitcoin fall from $60,000 to $30,000. However, during that time, Coinbase, when you actually take a look at their um, financial statements, not only did they increase their transacting users, so they grew their client base, Mm -hmm. but they also increased the volume of uh, cryptocurrencies that was traded. So uh, this goes back to what I was mentioning before in that even though cryptocurrencies are volatile and they're going to go through a lot of uh, sort of, you know, bull and bear type markets, you know, a lot of uh, peaks and, and troughs, as long as the cryptocurrency space continues to grow, the beneficiary will be a company like Coinbase. Mm. 
Another company that comes to mind is MicroStrategy. So MicroStrategy being uh, run by Michael Saylor, longest running tech CEO of a public company. You know, he likes to say that he runs a 500 million software business that grows 10% a year. Uh, and they run a $5 billion Bitcoin business that's growing upwards of 100% a year. So Michael Saylor started adding Bitcoin to their treasury uh, holdings a few years ago. They've purchased roughly about $3 billion, and now it's worth over $5 billion. And mm-hmm. it wouldn't be surprising to see, you know, possibly uh, the market cap of that company eclipsing, you know, a trillion dollars if Bitcoin continues to grow the way it has. Now, I won't focus on any one of the specific Bitcoin miners, but if you take a look at the index itself, we have a number of Bitcoin miners. And uh, when you take a look at the performance of the Bitcoin miners versus Bitcoin over the last 12 months, a lot of the Bitcoin miners have actually outperformed the price of Bitcoin. And, you know, when you try to delve into it and, and look at why is this well, not only are they mining the Bitcoin, but um, they uh, also don't necessarily have to sell the Bitcoin right then and there when they actually mine. And so they actually end up just holding the Bitcoin themselves. And as the price uh, shoots up on Bitcoin, that's when they will eventually sell. And uh, that all goes towards their bottom line. So whilst we have taken a look at the correlation of the index versus Bitcoin, the correlation being pretty close. You know, it's not 100% correlated. I believe it's between, you know, 0.7 and 0.75. But what we hope to see is that, uh, you know, even during sort of these periods where cryptocurrencies kind of level off and may pull back, these companies continue to grow. The reason why PayPal and Square are in the exposure itself is because we, as I mentioned before, 85% is invested in pure play companies. So pure play companies being companies that have at least 75% of their revenue you know, from their crypto-based business or uh, companies that have at least 75% of their uh, balance sheet or their treasury assets invested in cryptocurrencies. Now, that leaves 15% of the fund. And 15% of the fund is put aside for or these large cap companies that are doing meaningful work or you know have a meaningful business line in the crypto space and so yep. an example of that would be you know PayPal and Square mm-hmm. you know obviously they have their primary business which you know because of the size of it is just that's where most of their revenues come from but you know PayPal and Square they're actually really starting to do some interesting work in the um crypto space and you know that 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 business will grow and so they get uh, a small um percentage in the index itself yep and paypal have been around for how long now that's like i think it's nearly 20 years hasn't it been correct yeah. yeah but you know it really shows i think the sort of staying power because mm. you know they see the opportunity essentially they see the opportunity and what's happening in cryptocurrencies and how that's going to you know develop into essentially what I think are going to be faster payment systems than, than what uh, they use in terms of uh, the way that PayPal works, for example. Mm. So why is the ETF not investing directly in cryptocurrencies themselves? We feel that getting exposure to digital assets ecosystem through the companies is actually a great diversifier or alternative. Being um, in tune with the uh, advisors and speaking to them about this space, there's actually a lot of advisors that don't necessarily want exposure to the cryptocurrencies. You know, they're volatile, you know, their, their clients could be a lot older and, and, and their portfolio can't go through that volatility. 
as I mentioned, there's actually over 7,000 cryptocurrencies. It's actually hard to determine which ones are going to survive. When you take a look at the companies themselves, they're publicly listed. They come out with financial statements, you know, on a quarterly basis. And, you know, financial... They're, they're all publicly listed. They're all publicly listed, correct. Okay, so, sorry. Yeah, very transparent. Very transparent. And advisors actually know how to value these companies. Whereas when you take a look at, you know, something that doesn't have any cash flows like these cryptocurrencies, how do you actually value that? You know, you have to start taking a look at network effects and that sort of thing. But there are a lot of investors. And when I say investors, I put, you know, financial advisors that are more comfortable in just investing in the companies because they feel that regardless of which cryptocurrencies win, these companies will be the winners in the long run because they help facilitate both the growth and uh, just the development of the space itself. Is the fund actively or passively managed? Yes. Uh, so this fund is passively managed. Okay. The fund is passively managed because we are trying to track the- You just track the index. track the index. Yeah. Correct. And in regards to the way that it is weighted, uh, because you could have ETFs that track indices, but weighted in different ways, the 85% of the fund is going to be market cap weighted. And so the benefit there is that the companies that continue to be strong in the space continue to grow and you remain- market cap weighted with a cap of 10%, but you remain weighted towards those big names. Now that other 15% that I refer back to in terms of the companies, you know, that have multiple lines of businesses, but only, you know, at least one business line, those will be equally weighted. And so there'll be uh, 10 names that are equally weighted for that section there. Mm. Okay, so let's talk specifically about the ETF. What's the code for this ETF? The code for the ETF is going to be CRYP, or we like to you know, just call it CRIP. <laughs> In the vault with CRIPT. <laughs> <laughs> so... What kind of investors is CRIP suited for and where can CRIP sit in a portfolio? Yeah, certainly. So I think for investors looking to invest in CRIP, I would classify the fund as a thematic so BetaShares, uh, for those of you that are unfamiliar, you know, we're an ETF fund manager, 22 billion of funds under management and have over 65 exchange traded funds currently listed on the ASX. And we have a number of thematics. You know, some of those thematics may be, you know, global cybersecurity or uh, cloud computing ETF. And so when you think of thematics, they don't make up a big chunk of the portfolio, but we feel that you know some of these thematics that I just mentioned are long-term megatrends, right? And uh, you know this sector, the cryptocurrency sector, is a sector still really in its infancy, and is going to continue to grow. And so you know it would be considered a growth growth exposure. Uh, it's an equity exposure. And really, you know, it's up to, you know, either your financial advisor or yourself to determine how much exposure you want because, you know, everybody's risk tolerance is different. And of course, uh, listeners should talk to a licensed financial Correct. advisor yeah. or professional before exactly. making any decisions that uh, based on this. So where can listeners find out more about this ETF? Yeah, for listeners that are interested in this ETF, uh, the best source would be to go to the website, so betashares.com.au. If you are interested in uh, the crypto space in general or the digital assets ecosystem, we're also going to be posting a weekly crypto insights and highlights, mm -hmm. uh, sort of, you know, call it a letter, but it's posted on the website. And I'm actually going to be writing that uh, on a weekly basis. And um, 
BetaShares also has their social media avenues. So yeah, I mean, there's plenty of references. And we'll put all those links in the episode notes and the blog post as well. Yeah, excellent. No, that's great. Justin, thank you very much for joining me today. Uh, thank you very much, Phil, for having me. I was uh, glad to be here and always live. Uh, happy, to, happy to come <laughs> back uh, at, at any time. If you found this podcast helpful, please tell a friend, especially if it's someone who needs to start thinking about investing for their future. You'll be helping them and helping me to keep this show on the road. Shares for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not shares for beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. And thank you for listening to my podcast. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.